0: I'm the misery machine.
1: I'm Yergi. And
0: I'm Drewby And I know we'd normally have a video intro, but the one we took got corrupted. So here, what you're seeing right now is the former black bear bed and breakfast in New Maine, which we went and drove by this morning. It's over an hour, hour and a half away. This is where the most brutal and heinous spree of killings took place in Maine's history. And that's the Christian Nielsen case.
1: Yes, this happened back in 2006 and I remember it happening in the news and I couldn't imagine that this was actually happening in Maine. It was something right out of a horror story.
0: Yeah, things like this do not happen here. So if you're listening on YouTube, please hit like and subscribe. We just passed 4,300 subscribers. So thank you everyone for the help so far. Thank you so much. But without further ado, the
1: Christian Nielsen case. Natives of San Francisco, California, Julie and Selby Bullard moved to the quaint western Maine town of Newry in 2004 to start a new life. Selby had been recently widowed, losing her husband in a car accident, leaving two young children named Layla and Elliot behind, who referred to their grandmother Julie as Dammy. Selby sold designer eyewear while in California and upon moving to Maine, earned her real estate license and joined a firm called Appletree Realty, where she met and became close friends with a woman named Cynthia Beetson, who became like a big sister to Selby.
0: Julie Bullard ran an inn in San Francisco called the Church Street Bed and Breakfast and was excited to scoop up a six-bedroom converted farmhouse in Newry called the Black Bear Bed and Breakfast. Newry is a small tourist town with a population of under 500 people. It's the home of Sunday River Ski Resort and has a proportionally large seasonal population. Julie also had three dogs, which she loved very much, Rose, Buster, and Lolly.
1: Things, however, were not as prosperous as Julie had hoped. Finances were tight, and in February of 2006, she decided to sell the Black Bear Bed and Breakfast and made plans to move to Brooklyn to live with another one of her daughters. While the inn was on the market, she opened her doors to two longer-term tenants to make ends meet james whitehurst and christian nielsen
0: james also known as jimmy was a 50 year old transplant from arkansas who was working to regain visitation of his children he worked as a handyman and loved the main outdoors and the lifestyle that mountain life in oxford county provided jimmy had polio as a child walked with a distinct limp and was also hard of hearing due to the polio jimmy's legs were a lot smaller than average
1: Christian was a 30-year-old line cook who had spent his formative years in Oxford County. He studied English while at the University of Maine in Farmington, following in the footsteps of his father, who teaches English at Deergo High School in Dixfield, Maine. Christian, however, did not earn his degree. He worked at the Family Fair restaurant also in Farmington until he was fired. While in Newry, Christian was staying at the Black Bear Bed and Breakfast while working at the Suds Pub at the Sudbury Inn in Bethel, where he was described as soft-spoken but a decent worker. Christian had a problem with drinking and had previously had an OUI, suspended license, and other various traffic violations. He was described by several people as a man given to mood swings who lived a somewhat aimless life, but he seemed harmless. Christian aspired to turn his life around and join the military.
0: During Labor Day weekend 2006, you would think that this tourist town would be bustling. However, the Black Bear Bread and Breakfast didn't have any guest check-in, which may or may not have been for the best given the events that followed.
1: So that Friday, Christian invited Jimmy on a fishing trip to a supposed family camp in Upton, Maine, which is about 30 or so minutes northwest on the New Hampshire line from Norry. An avid outdoorsman, Jimmy agreed and the two packed some lunch and took off in Christian's car. Christian turned off on Brown Company Road, which is a long dirt road in McGalloway, which is a small township. We have a lot of these in Maine that led to Pine Point on Lake Umbagog, which is on the New Hampshire border. And the state line cuts directly through the waterway.
0: Eventually, Christian stopped in a small clearing and insisted it would be a nice place to stop and have lunch which was a bit unusual as they had yet to reach the supposed family campsite. The two ate their lunches and Christian bummed a cigarette from Jimmy, then upon finishing announced that he had to use the bathroom. It was here that Christian produced a thirty eight caliber handgun that he had hidden in his waistband and shot Jimmy once in the back of the head and twice in his body, killing him instantly. Christian then left for work at the Suds pub as if nothing had happened. Returning the next day to the location of the crime, he attempted to dispose of Jimmy's body by hacking it apart with an axe and a hacksaw and then set it ablaze in a makeshift fire pit.
1: The following day, in order to cover up the fate of Jimmy Whitehurst, Christian produced the same 38 caliber handgun and gunned down Julie. According to his own testimony, Christian peeked into Julie's bedroom window and found her asleep in bed and then busted open her bedroom door and shot her repeatedly, claiming that the gun blast knocked her back into the wall. He then cut Julie in half, dragging her lifeless and bloodied body into the woods behind the inn, covering it with a tarp. I think he even was quoted as saying it was awesome. Yeah. We,
0: we can get into his testimony later, but yeah, he said it was awesome. Yes. It knocked her out of bed into a wall. It was awesome. It was something like that.
1: And yet again, he went to work Sunday for his shift at the Suds pub as if nothing had happened. Julie Bullard was 65 at the time that her life was stolen from her.
0: Labor Day morning, Christian awoke to the sound of a car pulling onto the property. It was Selby Bullard who had recently broken her leg and relied on her best friend Cynthia Beetson for transportation. Due to the fact that Julie was a chronic asthmatic and she had not been returning Selby's calls, her daughter feared the worst and had come to the end looking for her mother. Upon seeing the busted bedroom door, Selby exclaimed, Christian, did you kill my mother? And in Christian's interview, Christian said he wasn't sure if she was joking or not. And at the time, he was speaking with Cynthia in the other room, I guess very pleasantly. And so when she yelled that, he said something to the effect of, let's go see her. And he opened the door to the room that Selby was in. And Cynthia said, after you. And he said, oh, no, after you. And was the last person walking in there. So he was behind Cynthia, who was facing Selby. And Selby was facing Christian. She asked the question again. And he pulled his gun out and shot Cynthia in the back of the head and then shot Selby. This is what his account was. We don't have an official report on exactly what went down, but that was his account to what had happened. And that was on Oh, Signs
1: show? of a Psychopath. Yeah, it
0: was on Signs of a Psychopath, episode two, two season one. Yep. And it's all from official transcripts. So I was worried watching it that it would be dramatized. But it, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was all recording. So I, I respect that the show did that. So again, as I said, he gunned them both down and subsequently dismembered both of them with a chainsaw. It's also alleged that their fingers were removed post-mortem in order for Christian to steal their rings. Selby was only 30 years old and Cynthia was 43.
1: Julie's three dogs, Rose, Buster, and Lolly, had also been killed, one of which he claimed was killed simply because it was 12 years old and that
0: was way too old for a dog. He didn't comment on why he killed the other two, which I believe were younger.
1: So later, Christian called his father Charles Nielsen and his stepmother Lee Graham of Bryant Pond and advised them that he was running the inn while Julie was away in California and invited them over to visit. However... As Charles pulled onto the property, he noticed fresh blood in the grass. Following the trail of blood, Charles located the bodies of both Selby and Cynthia and confronted Christian. His stepmother, Lee, contacted the police.
0: Around 5.30 p.m., Maine State Police Trooper Dan Hansen received a dispatch that there had been a report of an unattended death at the Black Bear Bed and Breakfast in Newry. At the end, Hansen was told by Lee Graham that her husband, Charles Nielsen, had found the bodies by the inn and that her stepson, Christian Nielsen, had told Charles that he had, quote, killed some people. Lee then directed Hansen to two men sitting on a bench, Christian and his father, Charles. Hansen radioed for assistance and approached the father and son. He asked Christian Nielsen what is going on, and Christian looked at Hansen's name tag and replied, quote, Well, I killed some people, Dan. I shot them all. The gun's in the house and the tool chest, end quote. Hansen then asked when this had happened, to which Christian responded that it had been a while.
1: Hansen read Nielsen his Miranda rights, and Nielsen acknowledged that he understood his rights. Nielsen said that he would like to tell Hansen what happens, but that he only wanted to say it once. Hansen held his questions and informed Nielsen that detectives would be arriving shortly and that he could tell them what happens. Christian Nielsen was then handcuffed and placed in the police cruiser. Once Hansen had placed them in the cruiser, he turned on his in-car video recorder. Nielsen's father came to the car window and asked his son, shouldn't you wait for counsel? Christian responded, yeah, not a bad idea. Hansen told Nielsen that he could decide whether or not to speak with detectives, and Christian stated that he was willing to speak with them.
0: After awaiting backup, Trooper Hansen asked Charles Nielsen to describe where he had found the victims. Hansen followed a trail of blood headed out of the inn and through the grass to some brush. In the brush, Hansen discovered the remains of two dismembered victims, Selby Bullard and Cynthia Beetson, as well as the remains of Julie Bullard's dogs. Hansen, uncertain how many potential victims he was looking for, returned to his police cruiser and said to Christian, I know you've invoked your rights and you want to speak to counsel, but I need to ask, is there any chance there is anyone here alive? I don't want to leave someone out there bleeding, end quote. But Christian Nielsen responded that he was sure that everyone was dead.
1: Norm Lewis from the main game warden service arrived at the Blackberry Inn shortly after 6 p.m. Hansen asked Warden Lewis if he was familiar with the Brown Company Road in Upton because there was possibly another victim there. It was suggested to ask Christian Nielsen for directions to the body of Jimmy Whitehurst, but Trooper Hansen said there would be no further questioning of Nielsen until detectives arrived. While waiting for the detectives to arrive, Charles Nielsen told Trooper Hansen that he had learned from his son that there were a total of four victims, three near the inn and one in Upton. Hansen eventually received directions from both Charles and Christian Nielsen regarding where he could find the third victim, Julie Bullard, at the inn, and Hansen followed these directions and discovered her under a tarp roughly 50 yards from Selby Bullard and Cynthia Beetson.
0: While Trooper Hansen was locating Julie's body, Charles Nielsen approached his son and let him know that the police would be going to Upton. Christian said that the police would not find his body because he had burnt it. He then gave detailed directions to the location of Jimmy's body to Warden Lewis without Lewis's prompting. The only question Lewis asked Christian was for clarification at one point in his directions. Warden Lewis and other officers found the fire pit that Christian Nielsen had described and a forensic anthropologist later confirmed the remains of Jimmy Whitehurst.
1: Detective Jennifer King from the Maine Criminal Investigations Division arrived at the Black Bear Bed and Breakfast around 7.30 p.m. Trooper Hansen caught Detective King up with the details and that Nielsen had been read his Miranda rights and had made mention of wanting counsel, but he only wanted to tell his story once. King approached Nielsen in Hansen's police cruiser and asked him if he would like to come to the Newry fire station to be interviewed, and Nielsen agreed.
0: Nielsen was led to a room upstairs in the fire station, and Detective King removed his handcuffs. This room was set up like a classroom, and with a second detective present, King and Christian sat at separate tables opposite one another as she began the interview. First, King asked Christian if he was hungry, and he stated that he was, so King sent Trooper Hansen to get him a sandwich. After he finished eating, he was once again read his Miranda rights, to which he replied that he understood his rights and wanted to speak with King. He proceeded to confess to the murder of all four victims, giving a detailed account of each and every killing.
1: Yeah, in the episode of Signs of a Psychopath that we watched, which I really encourage you to if you have Amazon Prime, the bulk of the show is based on his interview with King. Yeah. And it has a lot of video of the actual interrogation.
0: His video of the interrogation is video of him leading them to the fire pit.
1: In Upton, yeah.
0: Yeah. There was no fluff there. There was no drama. It was all actual accounts. The
1: only problem I had is with the separate forensic investigators that clearly have no ties to this case chiming in.
0: Yeah, I looked them up and none of them were in Maine and I'm not even sure they had anything to do with the case. They were just giving their thoughts after the fact. Yeah.
1: So after he was indicted, Christian Nielsen filed a motion to suppress all statements he made to police on the evening of September 4th as well as physical evidence obtained as a result of those statements. I don't think you really can suppress a bunch of dismembered bodies, but... No, I don't believe I digress. The court found that only one of those statements made by Nielsen in the course of his interactions with police on September 4th should be suppressed, and that was his statement to Trooper Hansen that it had been a while since the killings, made after he told Hansen that he had killed some people and before he had received his Miranda warnings the court denied Christian Nielsen's motion to suppress all other statements and the evidence obtained as a result of those statements.
0: While imprisoned in the Cumberland County Jail, Christian went on a hunger strike and began to exercise obsessively, plummeting from 158 pounds to a mere 103 pounds. This is a person that's tall and already fairly skinny. Jail medical staff won a judge's permission to provide nutrition to Christian via a feeding tube and he was moved to the Riverview Psychiatric Center in Augusta for assessment and treatment. Later, Christian entered a conditional guilty plea to all four counts of murder and was thereafter sentenced to four concurrent terms of life imprisonment on October 18, 2007. Life sentences in Maine carry no chance of parole.
1: And I should note that prior going to Cumberland County, he was housed over at the Oxford County Jail, but he had to be moved because he was just too disruptive there. At Christian's sentence hearing, Brooke Bullard, stepdaughter to Julie and sister to Selby, read a statement written by Selby Bullard's 10-year-old orphan son, Elliot, who now lives in California. In the statement, which Elliot titled, How My Life Changed and I Was Forever Wounded, the boy said he couldn't understand the violence that took his mother and grandmother's lives. They have walked the stairway to heaven, Bullard read. At least there's no violence up there. Yeah, we
0: have to stress that Selby left behind two children. Their father was already dead, and now their grandmother and mother is dead. They literally lost, like, almost every adult figure. According to a sentencing memorandum filed by prosecutors, Christian had no specific motive, but told investigators he had been obsessed with thoughts of killing someone for several years, and had wanted to take over the lodge. However, there has been some speculation that Julie was trying to evict Christian due to unpaid rent, and that Jimmy might have stepped in and stood up for Julie.
1: Christian Nielsen's mental health has been a focus of his defense, and he initially pled not guilty by reason of insanity. Two forensic psychologists testified that he was not legally insane, but he suffered from schizoid personality disorder, making it difficult for him to express emotion or remorse. It's also reported he also had Asperger's syndrome as Mm -hmm. well. Dr. Charles Robinson said that Nielsen's motivation for the killings remains a mystery and that the man himself is a puzzle even after talking to him nearly 20 times. He said, I feel like I do not understand what has happened to him. Nielsen's father, Charles Nielsen, apologized for the pain his son had caused. He also asked the judge for compassion, but turned to his son and said, I love you. And I want to just note, I'm not stating that Asperger's syndrome makes you a killer. I'm just stating that is something that that he had. I thought I should clarify. That that is his mental
0: health profile he suffered. Diagnosed from schizoid personality disorder after being arrested and prior, it's alleged he had Asperger's syndrome. So Justice Robert Crowley was quoted as saying, quote, When all is said and done, Christian Nielsen has committed four of the worst criminal acts in recent Maine history, end quote. And that is 100% true. We've
1: never had anything as wild as that ever.
0: It was crazy. I was in college at the time, and I heard it because I knew Newry because I would go there on the way to Montreal. I'd go through Newry, and I always stop at Grafton Notch, Skorogger Falls. And it's just the smallest place. There's nothing going on there. They had one corner store, really. But there's a good chunk of Newry that... Doesn't even have power lines going to it.
1: Yeah, it's really, really tiny there. I'd go there on my way to New Hampshire to go to like the White Mountains region. And Bethel, it's a little bit more touristy. But Newry is really tiny, despite Sunday River being right there. And I've been snowboarding a few times there.
0: There's a really good bakery, Puzzle Mountain Bakery, if you go through Newry to Montreal. And I can't have the pies there, but they make very good jam. just this cute little place it's smaller than where i grew up i mean that's saying something it it was just so strange to me when i heard this i'm like are you you sure you got this right this happened in newry stuff like this just doesn't happen here
1: so while concluding some of our research into this case we came across a youtube channel called killer Consents. so make sure to go check her out she did a short video on christian's case So there was an interesting exchange in the comment section that we would like to share with you.
0: Yeah, we reached out to both of these people, but we haven't heard back as of this recording. If we do and get more information, we'll probably release an update. But there was quite a bit of information here, more than I expected.
1: Yeah, and I didn't want to intertwine it into our other information, because I don't know what is fact, and there's two very different accounts here.
0: Yeah, because at the end of the day, we're going after a comment left on YouTube. So just take that as what it is. This is not confirmed information. We don't have this corroborated with other sources.
1: Right, but I really felt we should share it. So the exchange involves a local that claimed to grow up with Christian and his brother hung out with him all the time a man that did time with Christian and the YouTube creator herself. And it is as follows.
0: All right. So I'm just not going to use names since I didn't have permission to use this name. But the man who served time with Christian said, quote, Lady, you have no idea what you're talking about. I was in Maine State Prison with Christian Nielsen on A-side SMU wing 2007. Among many, he was a murderer. Yes. But there were reasons he is. Those people treated him like shit. He's not bonkers as you claim. People are only driven to their brink. He is very civilized, nice, social, and smart. I had many one-on-one hours with him and he never once bragged about anything. In fact, he cried. And before you rely on news articles or grapevine reviews asking for the actual discovery, the judges didn't care why he did what he did. All that matters is he committed multiple murders. He worked for those people, and they totally belittled him and treated him like crap. His only sense of insanity was the actual murders. He went through a slight hunger strike to punish himself and to grab some attention with medication. I've sat down with this man, not really discussing his charges, but to play cribbage. I remember those days like they were yesterday. He is not crazy. So Killer Content responded. This was based off his extensive research that she had did. And I agree. And she is said not to expect the same perspective of those who had not gotten that opportunity to be a prisoner and chat with him. It was also stated by Christian himself that he killed the women to cover up the murder of Jimmy Whitehurst. And she stated again, this video is based off of research. Nowhere did it state that he worked for the bed and breakfast. People treat her like shit, but she's not hacking up their bodies, which is, you know, a a completely fair point. There's
1: no statement anywhere that he worked for Julie Bullard. He worked over at the Sudbury Inn. Yeah,
0: he worked at the Sudbury Inn. I think it's a common belief that he stayed there and worked there, but he worked the next town over.
1: So here is some testimony from, not really testimony, a comment from the gentleman that grew up with him, grew up with him. Quote, actually his landlord asked him to leave because it was a bed and breakfast for vacationers, not a hotel. Julie Bullard was the owner of the B and B and also worked with my mother at the Bethel area health center. She was very good and cared for Christian on the night of labor day weekend. Christian came to the B and B from work and walked in and shot Julie while she was sleeping. The next day when the handyman showed up to mow the lawn, Christian convinced James to go brook fishing up in Grafton Notch. I'm That's assuming he means like brook trout fishing.
0: But that wasn't true because Julie was shot after right. Jimmy was. And so. Grafton
1: Notch isn't in Upton. It's actually on the southern part of Nori.
0: Yeah, it's very different location. Yeah.
1: He had already dug a hole and had James get into it and then shot and burned his body. Which
0: is not what happened based on Christian's testimony. Right. um, And they believe that to be true. I mean, I'm sure where the gunshots went off, they can prove that Jimmy was shot before he was burned and wasn't shot in the shallow grave that he had dug.
1: And then Christian went to work at the Suds pub, which is true. The next day, Julie's daughter, who worked with my ex-wife at the time and her friend showed up to check on her mother and Christian shot them both in the kitchen.
0: That part is true semi-true yeah. yeah mostly true
1: he took the three to a shed in the back and used a chainsaw i was told by a family friend who is a state trooper in maine that there were body parts all over the backyard
0: not sure if that's
1: that seems excessive
0: yeah i don't think that was true i mean under a tarp yes but as far as i know there were not body parts strewn all over the yard
1: he then decapitated the dog and put its head on the mailbox that
0: hasn't been confirmed
1: he then called his dad to come get him and take him to jail, which isn't true either. I was doing a delivery past the B&B that day, and I can remember hundreds of cops, detectives, and all the news channels were there.
0: I'm sure that was probably true.
1: Christian was a close friend classmate with my brother and was always at our house, on and off for many years. He was always a little off, and my mother, who is a doctor, said a bit psychotic. Anybody that smiles and smirks in court for killing three innocent people can rot in hell.
0: Further, this person stated that what they have are facts. I mean, the facts in Christian's testimony say that a lot of that isn't true. But I think the point that is being put across here is that Christian did just absolutely heinous acts that are completely unforgivable. The person that served time with him stated, "You know, people did not deserve to die, I can agree, but what burns this person up is people only focus on the negative and the finished perspective from the community. Nobody ever asked why he did it, but the problem is they did ask why he did it. And it seemed like when we were watching Signs of a Psychopath, every time that why question was asked, he just kind of chuckled or just acted confused.
1: I remember one time the detective, Jennifer, had asked him, what do I tell Julie's family or her kids? And he's like, I don't really care what you tell her.
0: Yeah, he l- literally said, I don't really care what you tell them. I was going into this like maybe there's something underlying here. Maybe something happened with this Me kid. Me too, because
1: but- that, that one scene where he was like holding the branches so Jennifer wouldn't get hit in the head. He just, like, seemed so polite and nice.
0: Yeah, but I think it was just, you know...
1: But then, like, after, he would just say all these, like, terrible things.
0: He just said things that were textbook psychopathy, you know? He
1: said something like, they're dead, I'm alive, whatever. I don't remember the direct quote, but it was something awful like that.
0: Yeah. Just basically every time he was asked why it was as if people should have understood his thought process and he was frustrated that they didn't. And I thought this too, this next part, they were like, well, why didn't you kill your dad? I I was wondering, yeah, why didn't he kill his dad? And
1: he's like, why would I kill my dad? He's my dad.
0: Yeah. It's just strange because Clearly, he views some sort of connection to this person or some reason not to kill this person just for being his dad. But he doesn't really have any solid reasons or ones that he can explain for why he killed these other people.
1: Yeah. And they said, you know, what would have happened if your dad hadn't showed up? And he said, well, probably killed more people.
0: If you have this undying urge to kill people. What I would like to ask Christian Nielsen is, one, because he apparently had these urges since he was a teenager. One, why did it happen now? Why didn't it happen when you were a teenager? Why didn't it happen in your 20s? Like, what about right now? And if you love it so much, why did you call your dad to make you stop? This is the thing that I don't get. Because I would think that a person like this, as he describes himself and as he speaks to investigators... I would think that he would have just kept going until he was caught, but he didn't do that. He put a stop to it, which we can be thankful for that part of it, I guess, because where he committed the murders, there was a good chance that that wouldn't have been discovered for a while, a very long time. It's not a populated area. It's not a frequented area. And Nobody
1: was going to the bed and breakfast. Yeah. And the only family that were in the area were Julie and Selby. And the friends, and now they were all dead. Yeah. So the only other chance was her work trying to look for her.
0: Yeah, exactly. So he definitely had time to kill more people if he wanted to, but he... Not
1: that we're suggesting that. No,
0: no, we're not suggesting that at all. I'm just saying this person had a real opportunity to make what is Maine's worst spree killing, serial killing, in our state's history... And it could have been a lot worse and he put a stop to it from a psychological perspective that puzzles me. I'm obviously thankful for it, mm-hmm. but God, I, I can't make sense of that one. And so I continue with what this person said that did time with him. Quote: When I first saw him being Christian, he was always in his cell, naked, crunched up, knees to his chin, sobbing and shaking uncontrollably. He didn't go into details exactly what he did, but when he got into how they treated him, he was visibly upset. He's already been sentenced, so you know it was real. I read his discovery in his court transcripts. I don't think his intentions were to smirk about what he did in court. I think it was the fact that nobody would listen to why he did it. The judge and district attorney didn't care at all of the reasons and what triggered him, period. When he tried to explain, he was cut off, and finally he just smirked. He was teased, belittled, and treated like shit over and over and over until finally he had had enough. I continue his quote. But my point to you is that there is nothing positive said about Christian Nielsen when he is full of positive things. He is smart. He may be a little weird, but so am I. This man was so sad about what he did. He went on a hunger strike and almost died. He kept saying that he was sorry over and over again in segregation. He wasn't raised the best, and he had pre-existing mental health conditions. Moreover, he was a patient at Boston's Children's Hospital for over a year, diagnosed with failure to thrive, which pretty much sums up every situation of abuse end quote. I couldn't confirm that he was a patient at Boston's Children's Hospital. That's kind of hard to confirm without family testimony. There is no evidence that he was treated poorly growing up. I am not too familiar with failure to thrive, but somebody who has worked as a medical coder, failure to thrive in an infant can mean child abuse. It can also mean poor pregnancies. But to say that he had failure to thrive, that he was abused, these things, they cannot be confirmed, unfortunately.
1: There's been a lot of talk as well about him smirking constantly during his trial and in all his pictures. So that's really just kind of up to speculation. We're gonna have tons of pictures of him in YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, you kind of be the judge on that. There were quotes from both his defense and his father stating that, no, he was not amused. He does not think this is very funny. It's actually quite the opposite. But, you know, as an outsider looking on, he does look like this is all very amusing to him. He literally will look at all the reporters and smile for his pictures.
0: Yeah. Whenever he's walking, he will look directly into the reporter's cameras and he'll smirk. And even if you want to if you want to disregard that, let's say.
1: Because I kind of smirk sometimes when I'm nervous.
0: What was the most damning thing for me was not the pictures. It was the testimony he gave Detective King. Watching signs of a psychopath completely turned me around. And I was just like, okay, this person obviously shows signs of psychopathy. You know, this is a person who doesn't feel remorse. This is a person that kind of is acting like this is funny and could he for the detractors could he have been putting on a show there too maybe but the, you know this was your chance this is yeah. your chance and it's not as if the detectives did not ask him good questions i appreciate their lines of questioning and i would have asked the same questions personally if it were up to me
1: and she was more than kind to him
0: yeah she was they weren't insulting him they weren't putting him down they were not making fun of him They just wanted to know why. They asked the same question, different ways to try to get, you know, why did you do this? He just shut it down every time. That just really sold it for me. Last about this uh, person's comment that served with him. He claims that he stayed at the bed and breakfast and helped them do chores to pay rent. And he said that they overworked him. Uh, There's just not any evidence of that because he didn't work the bed and breakfast. Maybe he did some work around there to help make up his rent, but I don't know. He, he says that they would look down their nose at him and treat him badly enough to embarrass him and that finally he broke. But Christian Nielsen himself has never said anything like this. And I will say to try to be complete in this person's comment that he said, Quote, I know you've got to make a living, but don't do it at somebody's expense. They can't even stick up for themselves because they are locked up. Maybe you should write to him and give him someone to talk to. You can get a fuller picture on why he did it, what he did, but he is not bonkers. His level of conversation is right up there, end quote. So we don't do this to, I know this, that part, part of the comment wasn't directed as us, but we don't, one, we don't make a living off this. Two, we're not doing this at someone's expense, especially not the victim's. I want to convey this as accurately as possible, and in my opinion, based on what Christian showed in his testimony, I'd say that basically sinks him.
1: Yeah, I may write to him. I do do that from time to time, but there's, like, a level of commitment you have to have when writing to a prisoner— I don't know that I, like, I'm in the right headspace to do right now because there's a lot going on. If you're going to write to someone who's in prison, you have to keep writing back to them.
0: For some people, that's their only like communication with the outside world. So it means a lot to them. And I'm sure it can be an exhausting thing to do depending on who you're writing to.
1: I've done it a few times and it can be really exhausting.
0: You just don't know... Like, if you were to write to Christian, if you were to write back, I don't know what you would get. And then it's like, how much of that do you trust? You know what I mean? The it's
1: f- The weird part is, is every time I've written to someone in prison, I've always gotten responses back that are a completely normal person. I've yeah. never gotten anything weird.
0: And you've done this a few times in your yeah. life, right? Yeah. You know, I can give my opinions on how I feel about a lot of prisoners, where their headspace is at. But episodes about Christian, my opinion looking over the facts. I appreciate people's perspectives, especially people that knew Christian. To me, it just seems like this is a person who is psychopathic. This is somebody that seems remorseless. And if he felt remorse, if he had reasons for this, he had time to say such. It didn't seem like to me, like maybe he was shut down in court a little bit. But he was not shut down in his interview, and that was his time to really lay it all out. And it seemed, based on the interview, that he had as much time as he needed, and he just didn't really want to talk. You know, maybe it was so soon he didn't want to talk that day. Okay, well, you can always ask to be re-interviewed, I'm pretty sure. It's hard for me to defend Christian Nielsen.
1: I really have a hard time with the whole thing anyway. I don't know what to think. I don't know whether to think he's psychopathic or was he acting like an edgelord or what he was doing? I still have a lot of questions. So I think at some point, maybe a couple months down the road, I might shoot him a letter.
0: I don't know what to think as far as his motives or about what drives him as a person. But mm-hmm. what I don't have a hard time with is this was a heinous and senseless killing. It was
1: ridiculous of, killing. Of
0: four people that seemingly did nothing to Christian, had their lives taken from them without warning. He
1: didn't like Jimmy. That was for sure. He made that pretty apparent in Signs of a Psychopath. He called his presence objectionable.
0: Yes, thank you for bringing that up. Psychologists assumed that he looked at Jimmy as prey because of his polio and his small legs, that this would be a good person to dip your toe into the pool of murder. Here's somebody that you could kill and they wouldn't put up a fight. And I tend to agree with that thought process. So then what of the other people? I'd say it's more the other people probably more to cover it up, especially Cynthia and Selby. I think that was to cover up Julie's murder. Julie's murder could have had other motives to it, but this is pure speculation. I just think this is absolutely tragic mm-hmm. and heinous. I can't defend Christian Nielsen. I just no. can't. I just cannot. I don't think that this is some sob story, that this is some sad case. I think that this is clear psychopathy in my opinion.
1: <sighs> I mean, I don't like have like any blame for him for, you know, if he was feeling sad or whatever. But like you said, I do have blame for him for this massive killing. If you're being treated like shit, just quit. Yeah. Just quit. Go live with your dad. He lives not that far away.
0: We've all had terrible bosses, terrible jobs. We haven't gone in there and shot the place up.
1: Or actually go enlist in the military like you're talking about.
0: I mean, well, it probably should be grateful that he didn't enlist in the military. Right. There's a lot of avenues this case could have gone down. And when I think about them, they all end in a place that are far, far worse than the outcome that it ended up in. And the outcome that it ended up in, in my opinion, the worst spree of killings in Maine's history. And so if this is the worst in Maine's history and it could get far worse than that, I just I shudder to think what the actual outcome is if he decided not to call his dad or if he wanted to keep this going. I think his victim count would have been in the double digits. I agree. All right, so if you're listening on YouTube and you appreciate this video and what we've done, please hit like and subscribe. If you're listening on other platforms, you could subscribe on there. These are the best things that you can do to help us grow our channel, and it doesn't cost you anything. On top of that, it ensures that you never miss an episode that we come out with. There are some people, however that have decided to go the extra step to support us on patreon so let's thank those people now
1: Yeah. so thank you eddie rowan marky holly ashley vu anna lauren serena chloe mark tara sophie neil and karen dave and karina madison dom and liss jen mo jenny nora robin tom dylan kaylee alex jacob welcome victoria
0: welcome victoria and
1: welcome dakota welcome
0: dakota and and thank you levi Levi. our high here patreon supporter there's his lovely picture right now his link to his gofundmes down below if you haven't donated to that yet if you could do that and help give back to levi that has done so much for this podcast already it would mean the world to both of us yes and if you want to also become a patron you get access to all our secret episodes our check-ins you get access to our secret discord snapchat groups you may even get a postcard that could be haunted and you get one of our free stickers yes and much more (laughs) patreon.com slash the misery machine but until next week we love you we love you
1: Bye. bye